Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. calling it collision, and I'll explain that here in just a little bit. And I was thinking about this. This past week, we took a couple days off, as I know a lot of you did, and my son, uh, my wife, and my two boys, we went up north to the Duluth area, um, and we did a lot of outdoor stuff. We did a lot of fishing and stuff on the lake, but one of the things that Duluth is actually kind of known for uh, is mountain biking, and I love to mountain bike. Uh, my <laughs> My brain likes it more than my lungs and my heart do. Uh, We used to do a lot of biking, uh, but we would, my son and I did the the Piedmont Trail, did it a couple times, uh, most of it, Um, and that was pretty, it was pretty intense. I used to do a lot more biking, um, and just kind of got out of it, and so we kind of got back in the saddle and and went, um, spent a couple couple mornings out there in the woods doing it. Um, And for those of you that that have ever done biking, uh, especially mountain biking, I mean like real mountain biking, um, you know... There, there's a couple things you really want to look out for. Number one is there's a lot of rocks. Rocks are not good, okay? They're not. And there's a lot of trees in the forest. Um, and trees are not good. And sometimes, I don't know why, they plant those trees right next to that darn trail. And <laughs> they're so close. Sometimes you just can't miss them. And there's nothing worse than when you're mountain biking um, to have a collision uh, with a big rock or a big tree. Because guess what? The big rocks and the big trees don't move, and uh, your body seems to kind of flop by them. Um, how many of you have ever been on a bicycle and you've had a collision? You've run into something. Who's willing enough? I, I remember my sister, she got a brand new, when she was a freshman in high school, she got a brand new Schwinn Varsity. How many of you remember what a Schwinn Varsity was? Boy, she was so proud of that bike, and the first day she rode it, we went to the public, uh, public swimming pool in town there, um, and, and it was about two miles from her house. Um, can't remember the name of the pool, paddock pool, and we would, we came home from it, she was going down a hill, and she did one of those things that freshman girls do, look, no hands, and uh, boy, that lasted about three seconds, and she wiped out, and she just had one of those things, and, and you know, down the hill, and what do you think her little brother was doing? <laughs> you know, you're so dumb, you know, but her bike got all scratched, and it was a terrible thing, um, that changed her. Guess what? My sister never did again. She never put her hands up by crying again, right? Because she learned a lesson. I'm not doing that. Uh, maybe you, some of you have been in a car accident. Raise your hand. Have you ever been in a car accident? Oh, man. Okay, going to up the insurance here at the church. Careful when you drive in the parking lot. Um, but uh, there's something about having a collision or a crash. Um, there's something that's scary about colliding with someone else. Uh, there's something that's dangerous about it. There's something that's always unexpected about having a crash or having a collision. But I'll say this too. There's something life-changing, for real, about having some kind of a collision or some kind of a crash. It changes you. It makes you rethink the event. It makes you rethink how you got here. It makes you rethink about what you're going to do next, how you're going to change things. And, and there have been a lot of times that things, we've had things crash into our life. Uh, some of you have had relationships that have crashed, and I don't want to see you raise of hands for that, but it's changed you. 
right? It changed you. Some of you uh, have had opportunities. Maybe some of you have had job opportunities or businesses that have crashed. And it woke you up. It made you think a little bit. Some of you just had some visions. Some of you had some, some dreams about things you wanted to do. And those just kind of crashed or collided with something else, someone else's dreams, someone else's ideas. And that woke you up, and it made you rethink it. It made you kind of pause for a second, and like, wait, wait, what's, what's going on? What do I need to learn from this? In the book of John, what we're going to talk about in this book, and I want you to get this. If you, if you get this, you'll understand the whole perspective of the book of John. The book of John is about God literally crashing into our lives, crashing into humanity, leaving the comfort, leaving the security, leaving the, the awesomeness of heaven, and God sending his only son to earth, literally to, to, to collide with us, to be with us, to, to, to crash into our world, to teach us a couple things, and to show us a couple things. And, and, and when God came to earth, he didn't just come in a nice, I don't know, fairy tale type of way. He like... He like crashed in. I mean, it's like driving on your mountain bike and hitting a tree or hitting a rock. You know, it, it was a big thing. Now, when I was a kid, uh, our teachers used to use flannel graphs. I don't, do we even use flannel graphs? Does our church, do we even own a flannel graph? Does anyone know what a flannel graph is? Do we have one, Tabby? You have one? Okay. How many of you remember seeing this picture of Jesus on a flannel graph? How many of you remember this photo? It's probably printed on like every kid's Bible. Where did they get that picture? I mean, was that carved on a rock or something? I mean, why? who took the first photo of Jesus? Did they even have cameras back then? No, but, but it's this nice little picture, you know, kind of like, I don't know, like he's the spiritual UPS guy. You know, he's there knocking on the door. I got a package for you, you know, and you're not there. You don't answer. Obviously, no one's answering. So what does he do? He leaves a note, you know, I'll be back next Thursday, you know. That, that's, not, that's not how the Gospel of John portrays Jesus as, as coming into our life and coming into our world. He doesn't just knock on the door nicely and leaves this little note. Um, it, what we see here in the book of John is, is a pretty bold encounter, is a pretty brash encounter with humanity. It's not just the nice little UPS guy. I mean, think about, think about the whole Bible. Think about, let's see, if we go back to the Old Testament, um, we could talk about Pharaoh, do you remember the Egyptians? Do you remember Moses? Do you remember Pharaoh and Egypt had all the, the, the children of Israel as, as slaves, right, for years and years and years? And, and God just doesn't say, excuse me, could you? No, what does he do? He sends these plagues that, uh, that are just awful and miserable, and then what does he do? And then he kills all the firstborn children of the Egyptians. Have I made my point? I want my people released and I want them let go. All of your firstborn children, boom, they're gone. They're dead. Do you think that woke up Pharaoh? Do you think that woke up the people of, of Egypt? Whoa, your God's pretty serious. Yeah, I am pretty serious. Was this some nice little dainty knock on a door? No, I, it was, this is more like a, a crash, you know, like a collision. Like, I'm telling you, this is how it's going to happen and this is what's going to take place. How about, how about we go over to the times of Noah? Remember the times of Noah, the, book, the story about the book of, in, in, in Genesis about Noah? 
times were bad, people were being bad, they were, it was not a good society to live in, there's Noah and his wife and his kids are the only ones that are, 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 are respectable in God's eyes, I mean, it's just it's a very dark world at that time, and God does what? He sends a fog, does he send a little drizzle in the morning? What does God do? I mean, think about it, what does he do? He floods the entire world covered with water. All of civilization, except for Noah and his family, are wiped off the face of the earth. That's a pretty big deal. That, that's, that's a collision if I've ever seen one. It's kind of interesting to think. When we were up in Duluth and we did a lot of hiking, the beauty up there, you know, you go through the forest and you go through uh, uh, by the lakes, it's, it's stunningly gorgeous in that area. It just, it's, just, it's just wonderful. But think about that for a moment, church. What we're seeing when you see something that you think is beautiful, you see the Grand Canyons or, 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 or Tetons or something like that, you think, oh, is this beautiful? Think. That, what you're seeing is the result of a crash, okay? It, it's, it's, it's the result of, of, of a cataclysmic crash where, where God literally destroyed the entire earth by flooding it and what you see is not as nice as what it was. You see the aftermath of the crash. You see the, the wreckage of the crash. That's what we live here on earth, is, is we say, oh, aren't these places beautiful? Imagine what it was like before the crash, okay? Imagine what it was like before the flood. So, so, so God has this, this way, this history about him, this thing of doing it and showing up on earth and, and involving themselves in people's lives, that it's not just some little, you know, oh, isn't that cute? It's like, boom, I'm here. Jesus, which we're going to learn about in the book of John, think about when he goes into the temple. What's one of the first things he does in the temple? Hi, I'm here. No, he brings out a whip, and he starts tipping over all the tables, and he, he, he's, he's tearing the place apart, saying, what is going on in this place? I mean, it, he's very bold about that whole thing. Think about Jesus doing his miracles. We're going to talk about these miracles in the book of John. What? It's not just like, well, you know, my one arm's short. Hey, you're healed. Look at that. Great. You know, praise the Lord. You know, no, he raises people that are dead and rotting in the grave. He brings them back to life. He, he's, he's dealing with people that have, have been sitting, you know, uh, uh, on the roadside for years in their entire life. They can't see, they can't hear, they're crippled, they're lame, whatever it is. And he heals them and people are looking going, whoa, he doesn't feed one or two people. He feeds 5,000 men plus their wives and their children. I mean, boom. It's this huge collision of like, I just want to make a statement. I want you to know I'm here to do business, and I'm very serious about this. So, so what we're going to spend our time here in the book of John, the next few weeks, couple months on this, is, is God colliding with humanity. And, and I want you to see it because I want you to get it in your brain, how serious God is about what he's doing and his plan for humanity and, and maybe on some of these passages that we're going to cover, maybe, God's going to kind of collide with you on some of your thoughts and some of your preconceived notions about who God is and what God does. Maybe, maybe God will use you to collide in someone else's life. Maybe God will use you to help someone through this study, and, and you'll kind of crash into someone's life. And, and I, personally, I'd rather be the person crashing into someone's life than being the person that's crashed into. Kind of like doing bumper cars. I'd rather drive the car that's hitting someone than being the guy that got hit, but, but I don't know. Maybe in this study, you'll just kind of say, you know what, um, uh, 
God really can work in my life and God can do something in my life and maybe God needs to kind of shake me up here to wake me up a little bit. So, so we're going to get into this, this journey together and like I said, it's a brand new series. We're going to go through the book of John. So if you got your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I was in John and I flipped over the Old Testament here. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1. And let me just talk for a minute about the book of John big picture too. Uh, John is a little bit different than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, and, and the reason is this. He doesn't give, it's not a chronological story or account of Jesus' life. If, if you want to know, like, what did Jesus do from the beginning to the end of time he was here, I'd, I'd read the book of Luke, and that would give you more chronological. The book of John isn't chronological. The book of John is, is kind of, think of it like this. It's a snapshot, so you got your camera, this is who Jesus is, okay? This is how Jesus collided, how Jesus kind of crashed into humanity, and I want you to get who it is. Matter of fact, if we look in the book of John, John tells us that's what he's doing. John chapter 20, I'll put it up here on the screen for you. Look at this, verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. The reason that you have the book of John, the reason I wrote these things, look what he says, that you might believe, believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might live through, uh, you might have life through his name. So that's the point. I'm telling you, I want you to get a picture of who God is, and I want you to be able to believe this is who Jesus is. I want you to get the picture of what Jesus is and, and what's he doing and what God is. As a matter of fact, he says the word believe 98 times in the book, which is, which is more than all the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. Uh, Jesus says, uh, God, or John talks about believing in Jesus. So, so he, he kind of takes these pictures. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. And he kind of divides the book of John into, into really like the seven miracles that he did, uh, big miracles that he did. So there's only seven miracles listed. But he also divides it into um, the seven statements that he says, I am. Like, I am the bread of life. So, he, so John takes seven pictures of the miracles, and he takes seven pictures of these I am statements. Why? To paint this big picture that this is who Jesus is I want you to get it. I want you to know what God is. I want you to understand it. And the reason is, again, at that time when, when Jesus collided with humanity, the picture that people had of who God was was really warped. It was, it was screwed up. It was skewed. And there's a lot of people even today that have got a really skewed vision of who, a version of who God is. Um, a lot of people don't want anything to do with God because they have the wrong picture of who God is. They, they're, they're thinking, well, I grew up thinking God was this, and he was up there in heaven, you know, with the lightning bolt, and he was going to zap you and zap you, and I'm going to cause you to have cancer, and I'm going to cause there to be an earthquake, and, and I'm just this mean God. People have a really warped view of who God is. So John's purpose is, no, I'm going to take a good picture here of who Jesus is, and I want you to get who God is and who Jesus is and, and what the purpose of the whole gospel is. So, so you're going to get this, you're going to understand this, and you're going to know that Jesus isn't some UPS guy knocking nicely on your door. 
but Jesus is pretty bold and he's pretty in people's face, okay? And, and he's just, he just goes for it. John chapter 1, let's look at verse 1. We're going to move through it quickly together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Kind of interesting. Maybe take your pen and underline those words in the beginning. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 3. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. So let's pause just for a second. Did you notice the phrase in the beginning? Now what does that make you think of? What does it make you think of? It makes you think of, whoops, it makes you think of what? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first book of the Bible, which started off by saying what? In the beginning. It makes you think of that, and I don't think that that's an accident. I think that's on purpose that John does that, because not a, I don't want to talk about what, what happened at creation. John's talking about what happened before creation. So in the beginning, before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I mean, before this all starts, before what we have here, I want you to have a picture of who Jesus was, and I want you to have a picture of how powerful Jesus is, that, that, that Jesus put the whole thing together. He put the whole universe together, and, and Genesis told us what's happening there at the beginning, but John says, I want you to know what happens before the beginning. Now, let me stop here again just for a couple of things, because people have asked me these questions, so I want to answer a couple of questions. Pastor Dan, before Genesis 1, before God created the earth, before we have this history here, uh, was God there? Was, 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 was the Trinity there? Or did that come after Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? So, so let me assure you this, and for the sake of time, I won't get too deep into it, but God was there before he created the earth. The Trinity existed the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They existed in perfect unity. They were there before time began. Remember, before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, there was no time. God doesn't exist in time. We have time now, okay? But, but there was no time. At the end, when we read the end, the very end of the book of Revelation, when we go into eternity future, there will be no time again. So time is something that humans have. But but, um, but uh, uh, it's just important to remember that, that, that God didn't have a beginning, okay? He didn't just start, all right, in Genesis chapter 1, so to speak. He was there, the Trinity was there, the Bible talks about it, before he created earth, before he created man. And then people ask me this question, well, pastor, you know, was, was there love before God created the earth, before Genesis chapter 1. Did God create the earth because he was lonely? I've heard people say that. Like, well, the reason that God created humans is because he was lonely. Have you ever heard a statement like that? And he wanted someone to love. No. That, <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, God was in perfect unity in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they were together in perfect unity. The Bible talks about it. Why, why would God create humans to mess up this perfect unity that he had? No. God, if God created the earth because he was lonely, now get this, now get this, that means that God's deficient. Oh, I'm lonely. I think I'll create humans. That's kind of like us saying, I'm lonely. I think I'll get a cat. Well, why? Who gets cats? I don't get it. Raise your hand if you like cats. I'm sorry. 
let's have a special service for those of you that... <laughs> How many of you like dogs? All right. How many of you think dogs are superior to cats? How many of you think cats are superior to dogs? Oh, okay. All right. Okay. We get a pet sometimes because we're lonely, right? Well, you know, the kids moved out of the house, think I'll get a dog, you know? That's not why God created humans, because, well, I'm lonely. That would imply that, that God, God has this power struggle, and I'm going to create something. I'm going to create these humans because I'm lonely, I'm deficient, I need someone to satisfy a need I have. Therefore, just like you with your dog or you with your cat, I'm in charge. Well, those of you that have cats, you think you're in charge? You are not in charge. The cat is definitely in charge of the household. You, you know it, right? But, but, but for all of eternity, God existed as the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and, and you don't upgrade that. That's not something you say, well, he's lonely. No. God, there was love, uh, 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 and God didn't create the earth out of, out of a power struggle. No, no. God had love. God created the earth just out of love. See, I want you to get this even before creation and I'll skip ahead here a little bit. It's easy for God to say, now get this, it's easy for God to say, and not that he said it, but get it. I'm a great God. Okay, you could say that. You could say you're a great God and make a bunch of robots, and all those robot human beings all sit there and say, you are a great God, you are a great God. Big deal. I mean, who cares? Big deal. Anybody can create a robot to say that you're great. That doesn't mean anything. No. But, but before creation, get this too, before the beginning of time, the gospel was already in place. Okay? Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Let me develop this a little bit. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. This is talking about the end times. Having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them. Take your pen, underline those words. Having the everlasting gospel. The cross, the gospel was not an afterthought. It was not God going, hmm, I'm lonely. I think I'll create some humans. Oh, they messed up in the garden and they sinned. Now what are we going to do? You know, he wasn't doing that. No, God out of his love knew from before the creation of time said, you know what? And he didn't say this again, but I could say I'm a great God, but I'm going to show all creation, literally, that I really am a great God. Out of love, I'm going to create these humans, and I know what they're going to do. They're going to sin against me. I get it. I know it. And guess what? Before Genesis chapter 1-1, I've already got the plan. I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to send my son to die for those humans that I created, right? Time out. I'm not going to ask them to die for me, I'm going to die for those humans that I created. Now, time out, pause, get the whole picture, moving forward into eternity future. Now all of creation, all the world will look back and say, wow, you really are a good God. You, you didn't make them die for you. You didn't make them sacrifice for you. You created them and then you died and paid their hell for them. Huh. Anybody can say they're a good God, but you really are a good God, okay? Do you kind of get, you kind of get how that works a little bit? You kind of make a little bit more of an understanding of it and, and kind of understand it? So the gospel was there, excuse me, the gospel was there before, you know, Genesis 1-1 happened, before that whole thing happened, 
And, and God did that out of love. He, he, knew, he knew what humankind was going to do. He knew what man was going to do. And, and I tell you, what, what I'm encouraged about in these, fir- these first few verses is this. Your life, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through, is not a waste. Because God, before the creation of time, knew your name and had a plan for your life and had a purpose for your life and said, you know what? I love you also. Well, my life's a waste. I've screwed up. I've messed up. I've wasted my life so much. Maybe you have. Maybe you've done some things that are regretful. Okay. But guess what? The same God that was powerful enough to create everything by just a moment of thought is the same God that can work in your life today, is the same God that can help you through relationship, is the same God that can help you through an addiction, is the same God that can help you live through this life. Why? Because he created you with a purpose, okay? It wasn't an accident, oh, I don't know what to do, I guess I'll create humans. Like, no, I know your name, I know the date you're going to be born, I have a plan, I have a purpose for you, you are not an accident. Hang in there with me, keep going, don't, don't quit. Let's go back to John, John chapter 1, Verse 6. Let's pick up at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. So, so the book of John, the author John, introduces us to another guy whose name is John. They're not the same guy, okay? This is John the Baptist, all right? A different John. And, and the purpose of John, his mission, was to tell people about Jesus. That was his identity. I, I, I'm not being who I want to be. My job is to be what Jesus wants me to be. Interesting note. Can we talk about John the Baptist for a minute? Sure, we got time. <laughs> Think of who John the Baptist's dad was. Someone shout out. Who's John the Baptist's dad? I'm sorry? Zechariah. What was his job? He's a priest. In those days, if your dad was a priest, guess what you wore when you grew up? You wore a priest. What was John the Baptist? He wasn't a priest. He wasn't. God has a different calling for my life, a different purpose for my life. My job is to go out there and tell the world that, hey, the Messiah that we've been talking about, that we've been reading about, that we've been prophesying about, guess what? He's here. My life is not my own. I'm not doing with this life what I want to do. I'm doing what God has called me to do. And, and it's different th- from what everyone else says to do. It's different from, from those days. Think about just even what he wore. The Bible talks about him wearing, and he ate weird things, right? He ate locusts, he ate bugs, and he, he had this, this, this uh, outfit of fur on. Um, he did that on purpose. Why? Because he was weird? No. Because he was trying to point the people back, because people in those days, you know, they, the pictures and symbols meant a lot more. And, and he was pointing them, them back to uh, the prophet Isaiah, you know, so they would understand, who are you? What are you doing? Interesting to note, too, and we won't get into it here for the sake of time, but the people those times were asking John the Baptist, you know, who are you? And it wasn't this question like, ah, who are you? Are you Isaiah the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Are you Moses? That's not how they were asking the question. They were like this. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're the prophet? Do you think you're, do you think you're the Messiah? Who in the world do you think? What are you doing? That's how they were asking the question. What do you think you are? I'm nothing. I'm pointing the way to the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. You better get ready. He's here. Okay? Boom. 
the collision is about ready to happen. God has sent his son to earth. Get ready for the wake-up call. We're going to be on a wild ride, okay? <laughs> and, and what John's going to tell about this story is just kind of a bizarre thing of, of, of all these things that have happened. And, and, what, you know, and, 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 and he wanted to make the picture. And I want you to understand that, that you know, I'm not Elijah. I'm not who this is. I want you to get it. I want you to understand it. All right. So let's keep going here in our study, and let's go on down to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do me a favor. Would you underline those five words, full of grace and truth? Would you underline those right there in verse 14? Verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he whom I spoke. Uh, he that comes after me is preferred before me, uh, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses... But grace and truth uh, came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. Uh, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So John, again, his purpose was, was trying to make clarity of who God was, make clarity of why he was there. The people at that time had a very warped view of, of why, John, uh, why Jesus was there, of who God was. And John made it very clear. I'm here to show you who God is and make you understand this. Go back to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me, let me talk about that just for a minute. This is a, a great description, I think, that John has of who Jesus is. He's full of grace and truth. He's not partially grace, partially truth. He's not 80-20. He's full. The, the, the simplest illustration I can think of that, and this is kind of a bad illustration. I mean, it doesn't work totally, but it kind of does. Think of an airplane. An airplane has two wings, right, to make it fly. An airplane would have, couldn't even fly really with one wing, right? It would go like that. But it has two wings. So I, when I kind of think about Jesus in my mind, he's full. He's 100% grace. He's 100% truth. Okay, it kind of takes both of those to fly. I know that illustration doesn't work perfectly, but you kind of get the idea. Us as humans, we, we're not 100% anything, okay? But God in flesh, Jesus, he was 100% grace and he was 100% truth. Now let's think about that real practical for a minute. It's easy to, to try to, you know, hit someone over the head with a bunch of truth, right? It could hit people over the head with, with the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Here's truth, 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 truth. And sometimes it's overbearing. Sometimes in some worlds, in some environments, in some church, you call it legalism. Truth, 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 truth. Well, maybe it is truth. But Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. It means he was able to explain truth and, and, and give a truth to someone, give a truth to the world, but in 100% grace too. Now, see, in a church environment, Let's say even in a Christian school environment. We have a really good Christian school. We've got to be, do the best we can to be full of grace and truth. There are truths, yes. There are standards that we expect, of course. 
School starts at 8.30. Okay, that sounds really simple, but okay. But there's got to be grace to that with that too as well. And the reason school starts at 8.30 is because whatever, you know, there's a reason for it or whatever, you know. Uh, and so it's got, there's got to be a balance to it. It can't just be, well, here's all the rules. No, there's got to be grace with it too. Some churches I know really emphasize grace and grace for the gospel 100%, absolutely yes, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But for the Christian life, if it's all just grace and there is no truth, then what happens? We live however we want to live. It doesn't matter. Well, it's under the blood. It's grace. God doesn't care how I live. God doesn't give a rip what I do with my life. God doesn't care how I live my life. It's all just grace. Well, uh, yeah, but no. <laughs> Does God care? Yeah. Are there truths in the scripture? Yeah. Are there, are there standards for a Christian? Should a Christian live differently than the world? Absolutely, yeah. And full of grace and full of truth makes the airplane fly, okay? It's 100% of both, 100% grace, 100% truth. Yes, is, is there a way that a Christian should live? Absolutely. Does the Bible, especially the New Testament, give a lot of ways? This is how you ought to be living? Yes, absolutely. There's the truth. But why? Because of God's grace, okay? And, and we understand the why behind the reasons of it is what we do. And, but, but go back to verse 12. I don't want to skip over verse 12, and, and let's wrap this up. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that, there's that word again, believe, 98 times in this book, believe on his name, which were born not of blood, verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So here John's saying, listen, becoming a child of God is to those that believe. Now, skip ahead a little bit. You've seen this verse. Here we have it again, believe. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, the qualification for being a child of God is our belief in who Jesus was. But he gives these disqualifiers here in verse 13, which were born, born in God's family, not of blood, not the will of flesh, not the will of man. So when he talks about, someone's asked me, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, when he's talking about not being born of blood, he's saying it has nothing to do with who your grandparents are, Okay. You don't become a child of God because of what family you were born into. Well, my grandparents were missionaries to Africa. Well, that's great. I, I'm happy. That's wonderful. But you're not a child of God's because your grandparents were good people. Okay? You're not born into God's family because of, of, of a bloodline that you have. All right? My parents were, you know, whatever, conservative Republicans. I don't know. You know, whatever. Great, that's nice, but you're not part of God's family because of, of, of who your family was, all right? And, and so then he says the next one, born of, of the will of man. So, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, born of the will of the flesh is the second one, born of the will of flesh. That, that's talking about the fact you couldn't become part of God's family, you can't earn God's love, God's forgiveness um, because of, uh, uh, of something that you're forcing. It's not your will. I'm gonna do it. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to earn God's approval. God's going to be impressed with me. No, it's not because you're grandparents, and it's not because you muscled your way in. Look at the, look at the last one here. Uh, or being, uh, about being born of the will of man either. Well, my parents baptized me. My parents made me go to church. My parents made me go to a Christian school. That's nice. But just because you were forced into religion doesn't make you a part of God's family either. 
He says that's not at all. It's, it's a matter of simply believing. And, and you're going to hear this over and over and over in this book. He keeps stressing. It's not about changing your life. It's not about stopping being bad. It's not about starting being good. It's not about your grandparents. It's not about, about you, you taking religious classes. He always comes back to belief. It's belief. It's belief. This is the God in heaven who loves you so much that before the creation of the world, he had a plan. I'm going to make humans, and I'm going to prove my love to them. I'm going to send my son to die in their place to pay hell for them. That's how much I love them. And God says, all I want you to do is to believe that. God, I realize I'm a sinner. God, I can't pay it. God, I don't even want to go to church. God, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to vote conservative. I don't want to vote Republican. <laughs> I almost don't want to either. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, know, you know, God, I, I, I don't ever want to go to church. God, I don't want to have to give money in the offering. Yeah, fine. Okay, great. It's not about that. But you got a sin debt that's got to be paid. And God, I believe that your son, he died on the cross. He paid my debt for me. All I'm doing, I'm believing that. I'm trusting it. I'm depending upon it. Okay? It's not just a belief like, eh, I believe George Washington. No, no, no. It's that I literally believe, I trust, depend, I rely upon. I walked up on the stage this morning. I believe the stage will hold me up. Now, church, think. Am I sitting up here going like this? Oh, please hold me. Please hold me, stage. Please hold me. I hope the stage holds me. I hope the stage, someone give me a rope to hold on to in case the stage does. No, that's not belief. Belief is I just, I, I know the stage is going to hold me. I believe it. I, I trust in it. I depend on it. I rely on it. I have no problem believing that this stage is going to hold me up, okay? It, I believe it. it I mean, it, it's that simple, right? It's that simple. The chair you're sitting on, do you believe the chair is going to hold you up? Yeah, you just believe it. And God says it's that simple. It's believing that my son died on the cross. He paid your sin debt. It's not about you being good. It's not about you going to church. It's simply believing. God, you paid the debt. I don't have to. That's what the book of John is going to be just pounding into our heads so much, this whole book of, of God coming into humanity, God coming and being involved with you to show you, to prove to you, I love you and I have a plan for your life. And we're going to see how God, God works in our finances. We're going to see how God works in our marriages. We're going to see how God works in our relationship. We're going to see how God works in our government. All these things are pictures to show and to prove God's power and that he cares and loves you just the way you are. This is going to be an awesome study, okay? I want you to get it in your brains. I want you to have it in your heart. And, and I want you to be here for the study and we're going to learn a lot together, okay? All right, let's close with a word of prayer and let's be done with our Bible study right now. So Father in heaven, we thank you for the study. Lord, thank you that it's only by believing Lord, maybe there's some people here. I don't know everyone that's here today. I, I just don't. I wish I did, but there's some people I just don't know. There's some people that may be sitting here thinking they're not sure about eternity. Maybe they don't care about eternity. But the bottom line is, the proof of, of the whole thing is, is that God said he loved us and he cared for us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay our sin debt, to pay our mortgage for us. It's not about being good. It's not about attending a church. It's not about being baptized. It's not that. It's about believing in who Jesus Christ was, that he literally is the Messiah. He died on a cross. He paid our sin debt. 
And he rose again from the dead to prove it, to prove he had paid our sin debt. Lord, maybe someone this, this morning in the quietness of their mind believes that for the first time. They don't know everything else, but they get that. For the first time, they understand that Jesus died on the cross to pay my sin debt. I don't know anything else, but I believe that. I get that. I understand that. I, I, I believe that just like I believe the stage is holding me up or the chair you're sitting on is holding you up. I, I trust it. I get it. Maybe someone right now in the quietness of their mind is saying a simple prayer like, God, I realize I'm a sinner. God, I can't pay for it. God, I don't know anything else, but I do know that Jesus loved me and he died on the cross and paid my sins. I accept what he did on the cross as the mortgage payment for my sins. I don't know anything else. I don't even know, Lord, if I ever want to come back to this church. But I do know that Jesus died on the cross and paid my sin debt. And I accept that this morning. If someone's done that this morning, Father, would you give them just a special blessing? Would you work in their life, Lord, and, and just uh, let them know that they're loved by you? And, and maybe, Lord, that they would have some interest in just on their own, even just reading the Bible some more, just to learn about the God that's all-powerful and loves them so much. In your name we pray. Amen. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.